Let's bow our heads in prayer. Ask the Lord to give us spiritual wisdom and insight for what He has to show us out of His words. I believe this is going to be a powerful time for each person in the room today. And so one of the main points you'll hear is that in order to experience this victory, this overcoming that Jesus talks about, we have to pursue. We have to pursue. So with the same level of interest and focus and passion as if you received a gigantic tax bill and now you're sitting across from your accountant, the acute level of attention that you would give that person. Let us pay attention carefully to what God has for us today. Let's pray. Father, I'm excited because in these moments you dialogue with us. I'm excited because I know my limitations and yet you will supersede that. I'm excited because your spirit is already working within the room, within the lives, within the hearts of the people that you are here. You are an ever present help. Your scripture, you have told us that where two or three are gathered together, you are there in their presence. You are with us and we exalt you today, Lord. Father, you know the hearts. And you speak about the heart today. You tell us to take heart. Infuse hope. The hope of who you are. Lord, be glorified through this message. Reach to each heart. And let us respond, not just with a simple acquiescence to understanding words, but let the response be played out later today, uh, tomorrow, this week, the rest of our lives. Let there be a tremendous impact and influence that supersedes natural understanding over the next few moments. To your glory, Father. Amen. The passage today, or the message today, is called Greater, and we are in John 16, 25 through 33. We are about to move into the high priestly prayer. I am so excited about getting into this. This is one of the key passages where we truly see the heart of Jesus. And to have relationship with Jesus, we talk about this a lot, to have relationship with Jesus... You desire in your relationship to have great communication, to understand the heart of the person you desire a relationship with. I'm not sure that I've heard another passage in Scripture that has impacted me on the whole more than the high priestly prayer to understanding Jesus and His love for us. So make sure you're here for the next year and a half as we go through the high priestly prayer. Today is all about greater. So, let me ask you a question. How many of you ever struggled with math? Go ahead. We, can, we have a support group here, and I'm leading it. Uh, I, I remember that in kindergarten, we were introduced to this concept of greater than, less than. Now, I'm just going to admit that if it weren't for this principle, this concept, this mathematical exercise, I would probably now be a nuclear physicist or in the field of chemistry. 
This was my demise. I fell upon the greater than, less than. And you know what? It doesn't help. You know, teachers, they, back in my day, they taught you that if you didn't get it, well, just look at it like an alligator. That the alligators, now I'm having nightmares about alligators with math. And, and, and it destroyed me. It absolutely destroyed me. But I finally figured this out somewhere around age 28, how this worked. So we're going to use this principle today in looking at and kind of predicating the point of the message. So, as we go through this, I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm going to test your mathematical and spiritual acumen today. Becky's a teacher. She'll grade you later. All right, here we go. So, for the sake of the argument, that is not Jim Caviezel. That is supposed to be Jesus. So, Jesus is greater than or less than money. Fantastic. You got him? You got him so far, Becky? Okay, all right. Next. You ready? Jesus, not Jim Caviezel, is greater than beauty. Greater. Men, how many hours upon hours do you spend in front of the mirror? I learned my lesson with Jello. All right, moving on. Greater than or less than? Love. Valentine's Day. Romance. I just thought I'd throw that in with the, you know, proximity. Uh, by the way, Becky, did you hear any votes on that one? I didn't hear very many votes. We're losing the, we're losing the class here. All right, here we go. Next. Oh. That one's hard. That one's hard, isn't it? I heard a big groan over here from the child section. <laughs> yes, Jesus is greater than or less than our entertainment. Greater. I didn't see some lips moving on those under the age of 18. All right. Jesus is greater than or less than death and taxes. Greater than, just remember that, April 18th or whatever the day is. All right. Next. Oh, now you're getting personal. I'm just going to ask a question. Get ready to take the answers, Teacher Becky. Jesus is greater than or less than coffee. So prove it this week. Jesus is greater than or less than... Oh! Oh! Greater than... I want to hear it out of Sam's lips, but he's not here. Alright, let's continue on this morning. As we move through the passage, again, the title is Greater Than. But, you know, here's the challenge is that we say that, just like we sing songs, but do we live like that? Do we live like that? I remember a, a gentleman that I was introduced to the very first time I, was, I was, uh, had the uh, blessing and advantage to go over to Israel. And uh, uh, we were on a, what was called a fam tour. We were over checking up on some missionaries, but then we went and did a preliminary tour that the tour companies take you on to get you to bring back a whole group. And, and so we'd been out kind of looking at Bethlehem Bible College and talking to missionaries. I was tired. We were back in, in our hotel, and I got a call from my pastor, and my pastor says, 
hey, be in the lobby in five minutes. And I went, okay, I'll be in the lobby in five minutes. Now, I had spent the better part of the morning in a Palestinian Christian home in Bethlehem and met this entire family, four generations in one house, and just heard their whole story about what life was like being a Christian, living in what is the West Bank. By the way, when I was there at that time, 80% of Bethlehem was, was Christian. The last time we went, when we took a, a, a group from our church, down to, I think they said it was below 40%, Scott, below 40% in the span of 12 years. And Bethlehem has changed. Um, those are persecuted Christians, if they're still there, uh, for sure. But going back to the, the, the lobby, I'm in the lobby. I've had this great experience in the morning, and my pastor says, yeah, we're going out to... Um, we're going out to this area past Ramallah. And we're going to go with this guy named Mark, who he got connected with with our, one of our tour people. It was her son. So Mark comes and picks us up. Mark's, we're going to the town of Shiloh. And Mark is, his affectionate name in the community is the Sheriff of Shiloh. He literally is the Sheriff of Shiloh. And we drove through Ramallah. Now, if I told the State Department that as an American I was going to drive through Ramallah, they probably would have had me deported. If I tried to drive through it on my own, I probably would have been deported. But because I had Mark with me, I didn't have any fear. And I was able to go through a town that was incredibly violent, and as an American, you just have no business being there. And yet, because of who I was with, I was able to experience one of the greatest times I've ever had in the Holy Land of walking around the area where the tabernacle would have been out by Shiloh. I would have missed that beautiful experience had I succumbed to my fear. Do you get where I'm going here? Because of who was with me, I was able to experience a blessing beyond a blessing and get past fear and to go beyond what most people would never, to overcome what most people would never have attempted. This morning as we move through our text, we're going to be in verses 25 through 30. Let's just read that right now. The title to this section of, of Scripture is, I have overcome the world, and Jesus says this, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me, and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Now, even if I wasn't a pastor, uh, uh, that would be a little confusing. That's kind of dancing all over out here. I'm leaving, I'm leaving, the Father, not the Father. What is being stated here? We have to go back again, understand that what we're hearing is part of a larger conversation. And what's prior in this conversation is Jesus informing those that are there, the disciples, that I'm leaving. Guys, wake up. I'm leaving. You need to be ready. You need to understand. You need to abide in Me. I'm going to give you a helper named the Holy Spirit because I will be gone. I'm going back to the Father. They still weren't getting it. And He's talking kind of in, in, in guarded or allegorical ways 
as often Jesus did. And so he just finished, we finished last week with this concept and this idea that, that Jesus is saying that it's going to be okay. There will be suffering in the world, but it's going to be okay. You will be my disciples. I will send a helper to you. But he knows they're still not getting it. He knows that they're still not getting it. And so Jesus is trying to help them understand. And this morning our first point is overcoming trials requires understanding. And let's start with this concept. Jesus taught in allegory and with direct clarity. And we'll find that a little bit later on as the disciples respond. They say specifically, oh, now you are speaking plainly. We get it now based off of what we just heard. He's being very specific. And he's saying the hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. For whatever reason, this segment of dialogue with the disciples, they finally get it. And what's fascinating is as we look at this idea, Jesus teaches with allegory or figures of speech, and also he speaks with clarity. This is an example of teaching. And we've got two main points here. Spiritual growth requires pursuit. You can remember where Jesus spoke about the soils, right? And the seed falling on hard ground or, or thorny ground or, or uh, ground that was off the path and, and it was supposed to sprout up and sometimes it did, most of the time it didn't, and then the, the seed that fell in good soil. And even the disciples walked away from that saying, what are you talking about? Why do you do this? Here's why. Because as we see Jesus speaking in these figures of speech, it was a technique, it was a form of speaking that was common to the day. It's how teachers taught. And it was used primarily to get you to lean in to the conversation. What do I mean by that? To pursue what is going on. To pay attention with a, a level of acuteness because you desire to know what on earth are you talking about? Have you ever had someone just tell you plainly, just do this, and you still don't get it? And then they'll use an example sometimes, and all of a sudden it clicks. Because we're mystifying creatures, folks, when it comes to understanding. So Jesus is the master teacher. So sometimes he's going to use figures of speech. Sometimes he's just going to give it to you straight. And, and we kind of wrap that up with this point of spiritual survival requires preparedness. Why does he not just lay in this idea of figure of speech or allegory? Because sometimes in order for us to survive spiritually, we just have to be told plainly, this is how you do it. This is who I am. Jesus was asked, and we'll see it coming up, are you the Son of God? And his response is, you say that I am. Figure of speech, right? He's playing with their heads. There's a deeper meaning there. When Jesus speaks with allegory or figure of speech, you have to pursue what is the nugget of truth behind this. Later, the high priest says to him in front of all the crowds, and it was the right time. He says, are you the Son of God? And Jesus responds, 
I am. And to a Jew? That wasn't just saying that you're the Son of God. Those words were only equated with God saying who He is. Present tense. I am. And it is that that caused people to rise up and kill Jesus. He spoke plainly so that things would be prepared for those who needed to grow spiritually. So spiritual growth requires two things. It requires pursuit and it requires proper preparedness, not laziness. This is why we do equipping, folks. This is why we value teaching. This is why we encourage you to get into the Word of God and explore the principles and understand it so that you are spiritually prepared. Secondly, Overcoming trials requires understanding how so. Jesus prepared the disciples for a reshuffle in management. All right? Management is changing. How many of you have ever had this happen in a job? And you've got to get used to the new format, and it's a little frustrating sometimes. Jesus is saying, hey, by the way, things are switching up here as to how, who you answer to and how this all works, and our roles are changing. How does that work? Go back to what Jesus says here. He says... In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. Stop for a second. Jesus just changed it up. He's been telling them over and over and over during the discourse coming out of uh, the upper room uh, in in the, the Last Supper. And he's told them no less than four times now, ask in my name, ask in my name. Now all of a sudden he says, by the way, you're going to ask, and I'm not going to be the one that's going to go before the Father anymore. What? You've been telling us to do... Because I'm not here anymore. I'm going to be with my Father. So you can't ask me. I'm no longer physically here. There's a new guy coming in. Answers to the initials HS. He will be your director. He will be your manager. He will be your help as I have been your help. Now I will continue to intercede for you, but as I see it and as I hear it from the other manager of the Holy Spirit. But my role changes a little bit. I'm moving to corporate. Right? So things are changing. And Jesus wants them to be very, very clear about this. He's reshuffling the management. He'll be returning to the Father. Verse 28 tells us this. This is a powerful verse. He says, I came from the Father and have come into the world and now am leaving the world and going to the Father. This is a perfect picture of the cycle of of the incarnation of Christ. I came into the world. Is the incarnation necessary for you and I? Then what was the next part? I came into the world. I came from the Father and now I've come into the world for the purpose of what? Of sacrificing myself. And then I will rise and I will ascend and I will go back to the Father. All of that summed up. Jesus' entire purpose summed up in one verse. Verse 28. And so He's resetting in their minds what His purpose was because they're about to see it happen. He's giving them a foreshadowing of what is about to happen so they can piece it all together and that's what a good manager does. He'll be returning to the Father. He will no longer be asking on their behalf. The Holy Spirit, the Helper, will now be their access. Because they love Jesus and believe the Father loves them. This is what He says. He is reminding them that because of their love for Him and because of their 
faithfulness to believe Jesus' words, that the Father loves them. He is now emphasizing something where they had separation from the Father. That there's this, this disconnect that God is God. He's removed. And now He's connecting them with the Father saying, you no longer need Me as that specific intercessor, middle management, because of your love and your obedience and your belief, the Father loves you. You have an audience direct with Him. That applies to you and I today. And as we pray and as we ask, we talked about this in our life group this past week, are there moments and times where you don't feel adequate to go before the Father? Are there times and moments where we might say, I, I just have not appropriately presented myself over this past week to the Father. I don't feel worthy to be in front of Him. Be rid of that. Again, that's Satan. Let the Holy Spirit lead you into the presence of the Father because if you love Jesus and if you believe that Jesus is who He is, Scripture says that the Father loves you. Thirdly, we want to examine this idea out of verses 29 through 30. Because of Jesus' teachings and the words of His teaching, uh, the disciples do three things here. Alright, let's look at verse 29 through 30 again. It says this, His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. They finally got it. They finally understood. The disciples understand Jesus has been successful. We've talked about the issue of trials, that a key part of overcoming those trials, being greater than the trials, is understanding Jesus Christ. And now the disciples say, we get it. We finally get it. Why? Because you've talked clearly. Because you've been specific. What do they understand? They understand that He's from the Father. They understand that He's the Messiah. Now they say there's no more need for questions. Nobody needs to question you, Jesus, because you have proven who you are. And we give testimony to that. They get it. They have arrived. You would think the teacher would be really excited, right? Whether you're a teacher or whether you're a parent, when, when your kids finally get it, there's this sense of accomplishment and pride, right? Or maybe it's a coach to a team. You'll really understand this if you try to coach Little League and teach the finer points of baseball to kids who, who have never done it. And when they finally figure out which way to run on the base pads, there's a sense of accomplishment. But what does Jesus say? Really? Really? You understand? Really? Get ready. That brings us to the second part. Overcoming requires trials. It requires trials. What does Jesus say then? To these masters. Masters of understanding. By the way, there are many of us in this room that feel like we've done church long enough that we are masters of understanding. Don't raise your hand, but would you raise your voice to Jesus in this conversation and say, I get it now. 
I know who you are. And would Jesus respond back to me, really? Really? Let me just help you out for a second here. Let's just take a step back. Because if you really get it, you need to be prepared for what I'm about to say. So he says this, Jesus answered, verse 31, Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? This is the really. Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. What a great passage. Underline it. Focus on it. Meditate on it this week. He says this, you'll, you'll have trials. And there's three com- compartments that I want us to look at this morning under trials. Number one, uh, the trial that Nathaniel has in his life is different from the trial that Melody has, is different from the trial that, that uh, Carl has, is different from the trial that I have. So when I stand up here and I say, hey, I've had some great success in the trials that God's given me, you could be sitting there and saying, oh, really, Pastor? What trials do you have? Seriously. Do you know my trials? By the way, you know, you show us these videos and you show us or tell us these great examples of how people overcame their trials, but those trials only lasted this long. You have no idea how long I've had to deal with this. Some of us are challenged because we'll never get over the death of somebody in our family. Some of us are challenged because we've had to live with a physical trial our entire life. The first thing to understanding and accepting that overcoming requires, that's the key word by the way, requires trials, is that the duration has nothing to do with the success of overcoming. Do not use duration as an excuse. And we'll flip it on its head here in a minute. If you, if you really grasp and understand, like the disciples, if you really grasp and understand this statement that overcoming requires trials, then you will no longer think that duration has anything to do with being able to overcome. Secondly, complications of trials. Well, Pastor, your, your trial isn't as complicated as mine. You have a place to live, Pastor. You have a place to live. I don't. I don't know what's going to happen. So, Pastor, when you say to me, well, I'll pray for you. I'm sure it'll work out. All things come together for those who love Jesus. Pastor, those are nice little spiritual statements. But the reality is, my trial is bigger than your trial. That has nothing to do with overcoming. Don't use it as an excuse. By the way, have you ever had something that didn't seem like it was that big of a deal and you're a little embarrassed or ashamed to mention it to anybody because you thought they'd just kind of laugh at you? But that trial certainly seemed more heavy on your heart and had an effect on you in a deeper way than some tremendous disaster in your life? 
You see, it all has to do with the heart. It all has to do with knowing where those softer parts are in the heart. And Jesus addresses that in a moment. Inspiration. It has to do with inspiration. How does overcoming a trial have to do with inspiration? Folks, just watch the Olympics. Those, those moments, now poor Bob Costas, he's got his own trial, right? His eye's gone or something. I don't know what the problem is there. And so they, they shipped in Al Michaels to, to do these by-the-fireplace interviews. And, you know, they, they start with the interview with the, with the athlete, and then they cue the soft music, and you see these, these horrific things that are going on in their life and how they've overcome adversity. Those stories are done not because they're cheap to do, they couldn't think of anything else. They do those stories so that you are what? Inspired. Because there's something about being able to rise up over our challenges, over our difficulties, over the seemingly impossible, and overcome it. That's inspiration. Have you ever thought that trials can be inspirational? I don't tend to think that way when I'm going through it or when I hit the front side. Oh my goodness. I just got this bill in the mail. Honey, get ready. Al Michaels is coming over with a camera crew. It's not my first thought. James 1, 2-4 says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Inspirational. When I see you guys go through your trials and you turn to Christ and you overcome those trials through the power of Christ, do you know that you inspire me? Because you grow in your maturity. You grow in your perseverance to overcome. Sad is the story of the one who never pursues or never understands how to overcome. But that's where Jesus helps us. So number one, we have to embrace the fact that we're going to have trials. And that's the number one thing that I think we might grasp today in this message is that we live in a world that wants to eradicate trials. And any time the trial comes up, we want to doubt God that God is God. If God, you are God, then we should not have trials. Folks, there's a place like that. We get to go there eventually if we know Jesus. That's why heaven's called heaven and earth is called earth. These are the proving grounds. But we don't have to go it alone. He says, take heart in verse 33. Look at it specifically. This is not said by accident. It isn't superfluous. It is purposeful. In the world you will have tribulation. You're going to have trials. It's a given. But what? Take heart. The best way for me to translate that for you and I today is this. Don't lose hope. You see, a trial is an opportunity. A testing is an opportunity to see Jesus work. You don't have to lose hope because there's a greater power that is at work that has actually defeated sin and death already. It's already won. 
The issue is, is am, am I going to pursue that and live within that attitude? Am I going to do that? So take heart. Jesus desires, what? Peace for us. Peace I bring, peace I give to you. He desires peace. Have you ever met the person that can have peace in the midst of the trial? That's supernatural, folks. Or it's denial. Or they're really good at fronting. But true peace means that I can embrace the trial. I can embrace it. I can sit there and I can say, is that all you got? Come on. Bring some more. Because the victory's already won. That's what it means to take heart. Folks, let me give you an example of where we struggle with trials and, and, and this issue of overcoming them. Let's just use one example. So, so we really encapsulate this idea of, of what Jesus is talking about here with, with taking heart. Many of you have experienced death within a family member. And I remember when my, when my mom passed away. And I remember seeing her body. And for many of us, our trials may be physical. We have someone in our church right now who is losing the battle to cancer. And their greatest struggle is that their body doesn't work anymore. It just will not respond. It doesn't even look the same. They don't recognize themselves. That's what cancer does to us. Here's the point about taking heart. How do you take heart in a moment like that? How do you have peace in a moment like that? As I looked at my mom's body, I don't think there's any more salient moment to understand this point than to see a corpse. That is not my mom. That is the body that suffers. That is the body that's given over to trials. That is the body that had to fight the long battle with cancer. But that wasn't her. And it's never more evidenced as to the point in time where she is no longer there. Have you ever been so sick you can't move, but your thoughts were clear? That's your heart. That's you. That's your spirit. And so what Jesus is saying is, as those trials come and you are physically affected, or maybe even spiritually affected, you do not have to give in to it. Because what is greater is your spirit. Do not fear He who can kill the body, but fear Him who determines where the soul goes. Because it doesn't stop here, folks. These are the proving grounds. These are the proving grounds. So as I face trials, I have a choice. What will I do in my heart? Will I recognize the physical challenges that I'm facing or maybe it's the emotional challenges that I'm facing and how do I put together this concept that peace can reside there? Isn't it interesting as this point is, is talked about that, that peace coming to the heart... Most of my anxiety happens before the event or the tragedy ever takes place. 
Is that how it is for you? I'm worried about paying a bill. I'm, I'm worried about a car breaking down. I'm worried about my kids graduating. I'm worried about um, being able to play softball this season. You know, I told you, my, my worries are not big deals. I'm worried about all these things that I can't control. And anxiety wells up. And anxiety wells up over and over and over. And I'm doing it to myself. Because what I've found is that Jesus is faithful. Even when those things seem to be going wrong, it's an opportunity for Christ to overcome. And I can have peace because there's always hope with Christ. He who beat sin and death can take on anything we are going through. I can't. But He can. He can. And so we do not have to heap the anxiety upon our hearts. Separate out the physical and the, the emotional and those things that are trials and temptations that want to weigh on us and understand that the ultimate is this. Your spirit goes on for eternity. And it will live, it will lavish in the, in the beauty of what Christ has for us. And there will no longer be trials and temptations. There will no longer be suffering. But folks, these are the proving grounds. This is where we get to walk side by side with Christ or the Holy Spirit as it is. And we get to be carried along and it creates the relationship. It's, it's like dating. And then when we go, when our spirit goes to heaven, there's a marriage. And we're locked in. Dating can be rough. Well, so can marriage. But it won't be in heaven. It won't be in heaven. Peace over anxiety, the issues of the heart. Understand that your spirit is paramount. And that is what counts in the midst of temptations and trials. Address that through the power of Christ. Next, the true power of Jesus is to change a heart. The principles of Jesus and His victory over death provide us the opportunity for hope. Now the question is, will we take that opportunity? Will we pursue that opportunity? The future is changeable when you know Christ. It's not enough for us to just know these principles, my friends. If you're going to carry and live with the burdens that the world wants to heap upon you, that the world wants to destroy you with, that the world wants to burden you with, then you are doing so by choice. Jesus is saying, I've overcome those things, and through me, you can overcome them as well. But you have to make the active choice to follow through and do it. You have to take heart that he who is in you is greater than he who is what? In the world. Do we live that way on a daily basis? How many of us have ever said, I can't get through the day without coffee? How many of us have ever said, I can't get through the day without Jesus? So there's one way. I'm going to ask you that question next week. And everybody better raise their hand. Or else we're just listening for the sake of listening. The true power of Jesus is to change a heart. If today you're hearing about this Christ that says that He can overcome sin and death, that you're hearing about this Christ that gives us opportunity to 
live victoriously in these proving grounds. If today you're hearing about a Christ who says, you will eternally be with me in paradise, if you have faith in me and you believe in me, then I will not only just help you in this world now, you will face trials. You will face trials. I face trials, says Jesus. You're going to watch them. There will be a fake trial, a mock trial. And then they're going to put me on a cross. And guess what? It will not hold me down. Amen? That same Jesus wants to walk beside you and give you the ability to rise up beyond those trials. But it gets better. You see, when that proving ground is over, you get to go up to a podium, just like in the Olympics, and you get a first place. And the rest of that time, you get to live for eternity as a winner. No more trials. No more race. Just basking in glory. That's what it means to overcome. That's what it means to overcome. I have overcome. It's the greatest insurance policy ever. That seems to be a hot word in our society today. Insurance. I'm not going to say it. But I certainly hope you all are covered. And I'm getting to the point where all I want is catastrophic insurance. I'm thinking that's going to be cheaper to go that way. Do you realize that if you had a card that when you walked into any hospital for any level of protection, you just showed them this card and you didn't have to go through the anxiety of all the bills, would you not brag about it? Would that not be the most valuable card in your wallet? Some of you really get this because you've gone through some major medical bills lately. You see, Jesus Christ has overcome the greatest tragedy that you could ever face, which is sin and death. Ultimately, that is what he is speaking to. This is why he is greater. This is why he is greater. It's the greatest insurance policy ever. It's not just a catastrophic insurance policy. It covers collision. It covers liability. Somebody just told me that they have a, a health insurance program that gives them free memberships at, at health clubs. Jesus beats that. It will never fail. You'll never get a need or have a need for secondary insurance. Second Corinthians 4, 16-18, we read it today. I want to give you a pragmatic level of this as we close today. Well, pastor, you're reading that Jesus says that he's overcome. He says, take heart. He says, you're going to face trials. Okay, I get it. I embrace the idea that this life requires trials. Pastor, I embrace the idea that, that, re, that embracing those trials will make me dependent on Christ and that will draw me closer to Him and I will be able to shine for Him in the midst of difficult times and that those are temporary trials. I get that. But how do I do all this? It's a mindset. That's why Jesus says take heart. It's a mindset. It's not so much a list of what to do. It's a mindset. So He starts out... Paul experiences this, and so he says, this is what we do. This is how we overcome. He says, verse 16, chapter 2, verse 4, or chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians, verse 16. He says, so we do not lose heart. Isn't that fascinating? Jesus says, take heart. Be hopeful. Paul says, as if he were reading those very words. 
He says, we don't lose hope. Never. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. In the proving grounds, my friends, this is what Jesus can do for you. As you're facing the difficulties, you can say, I'm not going to get through the day without Jesus. And when you get to the end of the day, you realize that was a true statement. That was a valuable, powerful, true statement. Then he goes on and he says this, and here's the key. He says, for us, I'm sorry, for this light momentary affliction, momentary, right? Affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Take heart, have a spiritual mindset and focus. How do I get through this, Pastor? You remember that Jesus overcomes. Secondly, you know that there will be trials but you are not alone, so you take heart. You know that those are momentary, but there is an eternal glory waiting for you as long as you depend on Christ. And lastly, as a mindset, I choose to think of heaven. I choose to think of eternity. I choose to think of that which is waiting for me rather than the trial itself. Every year we... For the past 10 years, I've gone to spring training with my son, and we drive from here all the way to Arizona. And we do, on the way down, we do a, a break in Los Angeles, but on the way back, we leave Arizona about 4 in the afternoon after our last game, and we drive straight through. And I can tell you right now that this passage, where it talks about we don't focus on our momentary affliction, that hits me somewhere around Kettleman City. If you've ever driven through Kettleman City, that is a momentary affliction. And what is my mind focused on? My bed. And that I may never get out of it again. This is the illustration. I have to choose to focus on that rather than focus on how tired I am, how worn out I am. There's an interesting comment here I want to finish with. I told you a few weeks ago, and, and, and maybe it wasn't real clear on this point because it was a superfluous thought, that I thought that myself and, and pastors, sometimes we, we flash around the Greek just so that we can let you know we know the Greek. But it's kind of silly because you don't use the Greek. How often do you go around using Greek words? So why do we actually say the word? All we have to do is tell you what it means and, and the significance of that so we get the true meaning but sometimes we flash around the Greek just so we can practice enunciating Greek words and look real flashy. This is one of those cases where it does apply for you to hear the Greek. You see, that word overcome is the word nekeo. What does that sound like? N-I-K. What? Nike. That is exactly right. And for those of you who know your Peloponnesian or Greek history, you know that there was a great battle fought at Nike. And they named that place Nike because of the word nekeo, which means to what? Overcome. 
Next time you see a Nike commercial, remember, Jesus jumps a lot higher than Michael Jordan. This is a significant word. It is to overcome. And so what do we do with this? Well, use Nike's slogan. Just do it. Would you? Just do it. Take heart. By the way, that's the active part of all of this. That's our role. Jesus is to overcome your trials. Not me. Not you. Our role is to take heart and to pursue Him and to walk with Him. So what changes? How you live changes. Actively making choices throughout the day in Christ changes. Three things to understand. The trial will not win if you are abiding in Christ. You want to render the trial in your life impotent? Make every effort to abide in Christ. Understand the trial is temporary. It's temporary. Understand through Christ there's victory over any trial. Also, accept trials for what they are. They're an opportunity. We learned that from James chapter 1. 2 Corinthians 4, take a heavenly view of things to overcome those trials. Lastly, I'm going to borrow this from the words of Jesus that we've heard over and over and over and over. Ask. Ask for help knowing that you can win through Him. Concluding thought today, the value of seeing your footprints in heaven is to have Jesus walk by your side while here on earth. Let's pray. I'm going to ask the men to gather and prepare to take the offering this morning. Lord, we lift up to You the challenge of overcoming. I pray that none of us in the room would ever see it as our responsibility to overcome any trial. But Lord, You tell us that we are to take heart. That is our role. We are to focus on the hope that is provided through You. And Father, You give us these words of wisdom as, or, or Your Son gave us these words of wisdom as He was preparing to go through His darkest moments. So what He offers, what He says, He does so with a power and with a credibility and legitimacy. Because not only in the darkest hour did He offer up these words of encouragement to the disciples, but He did what He said He was going to do. He overcame sin and death. Let us understand that trials are required in this world. But what also is re uh, accessible to us is Your help, Your gift, Your Spirit, Your words. Let us actively pursue the ability to overcome Thank You, Father, to Your glory. Use this offering for Your purposes. Multiply its effects. And may You be pleased with it from Your people. To Your glory, Father. Amen.